I was uh, impressed this uh, past week by the governor of Texas. I don't know if you uh, saw this uh, interview, but um, he was questioned about the terrible mass uh, shooting that took place in his state at that Baptist church uh, last Sunday morning. And uh, the news anchor listed a number of mass shootings that happened uh, recently and then asked the governor of Texas uh, this question, is this a gun control issue or is this a mental illness issue? And uh, the governor replied and he said, this is an issue of evil, of evil. And uh, I was impressed with his answer and not expecting that answer, the news anchor um, uh, didn't know quite what to say. And uh, so she said, um, she said, uh, well, what do you do about evil? She wasn't expecting that answer. And so, well, what do you do about evil? How do we deal with evil? And the governor of Texas was in a wheelchair. I don't know much about him. Uh, but he said, we have to get back to God. We have to get back to the roots of our nation and how it was established in dependence upon God. And I'm like, you go, governor of Texas, because that's the truth. What do you do about evil? Well, we have to get back to God. Evil is an issue of character, right? And character uh, comes from God. Apart from God, uh, we don't have character. And so in Second uh, Thessalonians chapter uh, 3, where we left off last week, in Second Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul is kind of wrapping up his letter to the church there. And uh, this letter is primarily about the return of Jesus to earth but, uh, and the uh, events that surround uh, the return of Jesus to earth. But before Paul finishes, uh, before he closes, he addresses a few practical implications. And uh, his first concern uh, is about prayer. We saw that last week. Uh, his first concern was prayer. In chapter 3 and verse 1, he says, finally, brothers, pray for us. Uh, we are totally dependent upon God for what God has called us to do. And so uh, prayer is really an expression of our dependence upon uh, him. But then next, I want to suggest to you this morning um, that the second major concern that Paul has that has a practical implication of what he talked about here of Jesus coming back um, is um, the issue of character, character. He was concerned about what was happening uh, to the people in this church along the lines of their um, character. Uh, in the first letter, when Paul first wrote to this uh, church, I don't know if you can remember this far back, but in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, uh, verses 6 to 10, this is how he wrote. The church was brand new. It had just gotten started. People were all excited about the gospel. They had received the gospel. Their lives were being changed. And Paul wrote to this church in verse 6. He said, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction, but with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need to say nothing. For they themselves report concerning the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Paul is like, this was a great church. You know, this is a church I joined. Wouldn't you like to be a part of a church like that? A church that had that for a reputation. And so uh, the church was just getting going. But now, uh, once... Uh, Paul gets around to writing the second letter. Listen to what he writes to this same church. Now, we command you, brothers, in verse 6 of um, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who's walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. What happened to this church? What went wrong? For you yourselves know uh, how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anybody else's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we don't have a right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anybody's not willing to work, let them not eat. 
For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Busy bodies. Such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ uh, to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. So from 1 Thessalonians to 2 Thessalonians, I wonder, you know, like what happened. This exciting church, and uh, it goes to this kind of undisciplined idleness, not working, uh, people trying to live off of other people, which you can imagine how long that goes before the church begins to get disrupted by that kind of thing where uh, people aren't willing and, and they try to live off of other people's kindness and generosity. And, um, and there began to be this tension in the church. And so here's what I do know is that um, wrong theology, theology is just thinking about God, right? It's how we think about God. It's the study of God, theology. Wrong theology, if we think wrong about God, it always leads to wrong living. It just leads to wrong living. And so it's so important that we embrace the truth. And, uh, you know, I love to talk about this, that what we believe is the most important part about us because what we believe influences how we think. And how we think influences how we feel, and how we feel influences the choices we make. But it's all based on where we start and what we believe. And so what we believe is the single most important um, thing about us, and that's why our salvation really comes uh, by faith in uh, the truth. And so what was happening in this church is that some people misunderstood what God said about the return of Jesus. And these people thought Jesus is going to come any minute, so why bother working? Why get up on Monday morning? Why put myself through that? If I think that Jesus is coming any minute now, uh, that his return is imminent, um, then why work? And so they stopped working, and uh, they just got into this thing, and it started, I imagine, to create uh, attention in the church. And um, you can just imagine how this thing would uh, kind of increase. And uh, they misunderstood the scriptures, and the practical result of that was misunderstanding how to live. I want to suggest to you that that's a character issue. And uh, they apparently refused to be corrected. They were stubborn uh, so that, um, you know, Paul uses some pretty tough language here in verse 10. Um, he says, for even when we were with you, uh, we would give you this command. If anybody's not willing to work, let them not eat. It's pretty tough, what we call tough love today, right? If you're not willing to work, well, then nobody feed that person. And uh, it's very difficult sometimes in a church because, you know, we have our, here at our church a deacon fund. And it's money that's put, put aside to help people when they hit tough times. And uh, that's very uh, a good thing to do. But sometimes people say, oh, well, that was pretty easy. And so I'm just going to keep living off that deacon funding. Can you just give me another shot and another shot and another shot? And eventually somebody has to say, you know what? This is a character issue. You need to make a budget. You need to get a better job. You need to learn how to uh, deal with your finances and so on. And somebody has to come alongside and sort of mentor or help people. And that's much more difficult than it is to just give out a handout of money. True? Very easy to give money. It's, it's like great. It's fun. It's, uh, people appreciate it. And there are times when that's the right thing to do. Uh, but there are also times when there's more that's really needed uh, from the church. And so um, apparently uh, these people would not, uh, you know, listen to advice and uh, were stubborn enough about it to um, hang in there. And uh, when I think about that, you know, uh, this tough language of Paul and uh, he uses this sort of play on words. He says, um, you know, verse 11, for we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. And uh, a busy body, I don't know, you know, uh, every church has busy bodies, I guess. Uh, but a busy body is somebody who just kind of meddles in everybody else's business, right? They always have something to say about everybody else. And um, that's a, also a problem that creates, you know, uh, trouble in churches. And um, Paul's, uh, if Paul's first concern, you know, is about prayer, his second concern here is certainly about character. So what is character? What is character? I think everybody uh, knows that character is important, and everybody would agree that character is really significant. But what, what really is uh, character. How would you describe character? Um, I think describing character is somewhat elusive for most people. Everybody knows it's important. Everybody knows there is such a thing as character. 
But when we are pressed to describe it, you know, some people say, well, character is the real you. When you peel away the facade and you peel away the front that you put up, uh, the real you, that's your character. Uh, other people, I think Bill Hybels actually wrote a book that uh, character is who you are when nobody's looking. Who you are when nobody's looking. What is character? Um, and I want to suggest to you this morning that our character is actually developed, if you will, uh, by the combination of thousands of choices that we make over the course of our lifetime. Thousands of choices that we make. Uh, it starts pretty soon after we're born. You know, everybody's looking at that little baby, wondering what's going to happen and how they're going to develop and so forth. And, and that environment is pretty significant and contributes to our character. Um, and it keeps developing until we die. Uh, it's an ongoing project. Your character is always changing. And, uh, you know, as a pastor, I've presided over my share of um, funerals. And uh, some funerals truly are, you know, celebrations of people's lives. Uh, but some funerals are sort of hollow, if you know what I mean. If you've been to these kinds of funerals, sometimes there's some glaring realities that everybody is dancing around and nobody is bringing to the surface. Just not the right time to uh, talk about those things. Uh, but the truth of the issue is uh, character of the person is what's on everybody's mind. That's what they're really thinking about. And um, you can't fake character. You know, you can't pull an all-nighter the week before you're going to die and say, I think I'll change my character now so that, you know, I can die right. It doesn't work that way. Uh, you can't cram uh, for character. It really is the combination of a lifetime of choices that we make uh, over the course of our whole lives. And each choice that we make uh, doesn't seem to make much of a difference. We might say, ah, you know, it's a minor decision that we have to make. It's kind of a, a small thing. And even though I made the right or the wrong decision, it doesn't seem to have that much effect uh, on my life. But the truth of the matter is all those little decisions are coming together to ultimately create a character, uh, a, a mark of who you really are, a combination of a lifetime of choices. And, you know, it really doesn't seem to matter how we get started in life. Uh, some people have great parents, and some people only have one parent, and some people have no parents. Uh, but character can develop independent. I mean, that can have a tremendous influence, but uh, not always. Some people start out with a, a great genetic code, and they're really healthy, and other people start out with a genetic code that you know, has some faults in it and struggle with uh, various uh, physical issues and so forth. But it doesn't seem to matter uh, how you start out. It doesn't seem to matter what kinds of storms and trials and troubles come into your life along the way. Uh, everybody knows that life is unfair, right? Everybody struggles with the faults of other people affecting us. We all know about that. You know, that happens to everybody. Um, but it doesn't seem to make much difference um, as to uh, what uh, comes our way, um, none of these things uh, make our character. They reveal our character. None of these things make our character. They reveal our character, right? Um, I love this little saying that I picked up from a guy named John Maxwell years and years ago. He said, um, what happens to you is very insignificant compared to what happens in you. What happens to you, you can't control. Thing, we live in a world that's broken, that's fallen, that's sinful. You cannot control what happens to you. But what happens in you is of the utmost importance. How you respond to the things that come your way, with God's help as Christians, makes all the difference in the world in developing what we call uh, character. And so um, <clears throat> this morning, um, when we look at this and we think about this, I want to say that, you know, none of these things make our character. They just uh, reveal our character. And uh, the choices we make in any situation in life that shows up, uh, they show up in our outer life, but they reveal what's been happening, uh, the development of our inner life, as we talked about our inner and outer lives last week. Uh, our actions reveal our attitudes. And again, what happens to us is never as important as what happens in us in the midst of any situation. 
So whether we realize it or not, our character is always in process. It's always changing. It's always uh, developing. And it's either growing into what you ultimately want to be, okay, or the gravitational pull of the world is squeezing you into its own mold and keeping you from becoming the person that God called you out of the world uh, to become. But it's always changing. It's always in process based on the decisions we make. Now, the Bible tells us, you know, that our character is developed in a tension, if you will, uh, between our Heavenly Father who made us and who created us and uh, whose breath is in our lungs as we sung this morning and uh, who loves us and who gives us freedom and uh, a master strategist, God's enemy, who hates us and is intent on destroying us and wants to control us. And our Father in heaven has an end in mind for the development of our character. In um, Romans chapter 8 and uh, verse 29, here's the way uh, the Apostle Paul put it when he uh, wrote to this church in Rome. Um, he says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. God intends for us to become like Christ. He intends for us to take on the character of uh, Jesus. And as we uh, think about that and realize that, um, it becomes incumbent upon us to um, conform our character to the likeness of Jesus. In verse 31, uh, I love this. Uh, God asks a, a great question. Uh, what then shall we say to these things about God's desire for our lives and so forth? Well, if God is for us, who can be against us? That's just the greatest question. If God, the living God, is for us, and he's out to uh, establish our character to become increasingly Christ-like, because that's what we're going to need to live in heaven, where God has prepared for us, right? And if God is for us along those lines, then who can really be against us? Um, and so often, you know, we talk about the situations in our life or our past, and we say, well, this or that was against me, and so therefore, you know, I'm this uh, uh, undeveloped character, and, 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 and we use those kinds of things. But if God is for us, who could really uh, be against us? And, of course, all of this follows Romans 8, 28, which is a verse of Scripture that we all love. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. All things work together for good. And uh, once we believe that and we begin to look for the way that God is at work, shaping us to become more and more Christ-like, uh, oftentimes uh, we're able to find it. So our character is to be a reflection of the character of God. And when you think about this, if you were to ask the question, what do you really admire in other people? Uh, what do you want in a spouse? What would you like to have in a friendship, a long-term friendship? What is it that you'd like to see develop in uh, your kids? Or what is it that you'd really like to have in a boss? Uh, it's always things like this. Integrity, honesty, truth-telling, trustworthiness, loyalty, self-control, patience, kindness, etc. All of those things are attributes of God's character. It's the way God is. And God says, listen, when I made you, I made you to be like me. And so uh, my uh, goal is to restore uh, your life to become increasingly Christ-like, that Jesus might be the first of just many brothers and sisters uh, who are like him. Somebody defined character like this. It's the will to do what's right as defined by God, regardless of personal cost. It's the will to do what's right as defined by God, regardless of personal cost. Now, in order for us to embrace that definition, it seems, first of all, we have to acknowledge that God made us, that it really is his breath that's in our lungs, right? That God made us. And because he made us, we're accountable to him. Because he made us, he has say over our lives. And we are accountable uh, to him. And we also need to know and believe that there actually is an absolute standard of right and wrong that God has revealed. We live in a day and age where people have, uh, you know, taken out truth to be uh, relative to everybody. Everybody defines their own truth. No. Uh, 
there is a God, and there is a God who's revealed a standard of right and wrong, and in order to have character, there has to be a God who defines what's right and wrong, and uh, the character is the will to do what's right, you know, um, in, regardless of personal cost as it's defined by God. God created us, we belong to him, therefore we're accountable to him, and, uh, and there is a standard of right and wrong revealed by God, and not only that, but God made us with a freedom to choose. Now, there are all kinds of things that influence us, but always there's an element of choice in all of our decisions because God gave us what we call free will. And uh, we all have this freedom that God gave to us, the freedom to choose. And every last one of us, according to the Bible, has chosen wrong instead of right. Starting with Adam and Eve, all the way down to you and I, We've all chosen wrong when we uh, put it up against what God has defined as right. But God loves us to death, right? Literally loves us to death and offers us a plan to reverse our tendency to choose wrong and through the cross frees us from our wrong choices and enables us that we can start choosing uh, what's right. And as a result of that, start to develop character. Um, as soon as we trust Jesus, our whole life uh, changes. In Romans chapter 5, Paul puts it like this. The first few verses there, he says, um, Since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we've also obtained access by faith into this grace, this undeserved favor in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice even in our sufferings, the trials, the hardships that come, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit and uh, has been given, who has been given uh, to us. And so as soon as we trust Christ, as soon as we put our faith in what he did on the cross, our whole uh, life begins to change. Um, Romans chapter 6, verse 17 and following. Uh, Thanks be to God uh, that you who were once slaves of sin became obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. You who once couldn't help making wrong choices have been set free by Christ, by, through the cross, so that we can begin to make choices in uh, accordance with righteousness. Um, thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin became obedient from the heart. It's a change at the core of our being uh, to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin, become slaves to righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations for just as you are once just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. When we were slaves of sin, the end was death. When we become slaves of righteousness and make right choices, the end is eternal life. He goes on to explain that. Uh, Verse 23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we get set free from this uh, addiction, if you will, to evil and to wrong. And we're set free that we can begin to make choices uh, that are right. And um, here's uh, one of the things about character is that um, our character shows. Character shows. Um, Whenever you're a part of a group of people like a marriage or like a family um, or the people you work with or a church... Uh, Wherever people know you, your character is exposed. You can't help it. But people will get a read on our character. And I think this is why, you know, um, usually when a a mass gunman is identified, uh, almost always they're described as loners, right? They're not usually part of groups and, and so forth. Because why? Well, because whenever you're a part of a group, your character shows, And uh, if you're a part of a loving group, there are going to be people who are going to confront you about your character flaws. And you don't want to hear about that. You don't want to know about that. And so you withdraw and you just become independent. And you don't want, you know, people uh, challenging you on uh, those kind of character issues. And so 
Um, oftentimes, people who uh, get way out in left field like that are people who we describe as loners. They're just uh, independent uh, kinds of people because our character uh, shows. And um, I think this is what was happening in the church in Thessalonica. This is why being part of a church can contribute so much to a person's character, and especially part of a small group. Um, uh, becomes, uh, propels us, if you will, uh, into developing character. Um, because our character shows, uh, the church in Thessalonica, uh, it seems like, you know, perhaps other people in the church uh, had tried to talk to the loafers and the busybodies, okay, but uh, maybe they responded like so many people respond today. Uh, who do you think you are to tell me how to live? Mind your own business, right? Or they leave. You know, and because they don't want to deal with uh, character issues, and that's what happens. You know, or uh, maybe some of the people in that church, instead of telling those people, you know, what they really thought about some of the character issues, they told the pastor, "Oh, pastor, you better go talk to so and so because their character is showing again." You know, "Oh, pastor, you better go talk to so and so because you know they're busybodies, and uh, they're starting to gossip about other people, and it's creating a rift, and other people upset about uh, this and that and the other thing." Uh, the loafers and the busybodies, you ought to go talk to them. And um, in, in the Thessalonian church, obviously, this got back to Paul because Paul is writing from someplace else, and he writes to this church, and he knows about the busybodies. He knows about the loafers. And so, obviously, word got back to Paul, and he wrote about it. And um, I think, you know, we have a precedent in um, Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 18, that Jesus gave us about how to deal with these kinds of things. You know, in Matthew 18, um, this is, a, I think, a familiar passage to many of us, but if your brother sins against you, if you notice a character flaw and it, it affects your life and it hits on you, if somebody does something that's offensive to you, uh, this is Jesus talking, Matthew 18, verse uh, 15. If your brother sins against you, well, go tell him. Go have a conversation. It's a brother or a sister. Somebody does something that offends you, uh, go and tell them, okay, between you and him alone. If they listen to you, you've gained your brother. Have a conversation, have a cup of coffee and sit down and say, you know what, when you said that or when you did that, it really hurt my feelings. It offended me. And uh, I just, I have to get it off my chest because I don't want it to become a rift between us. You're my brother. And uh, I, I, I just need to know, did you mean it the way that I heard it or whatever? And uh, if the person listens to you and you can have that conversation and there's an apology and forgiveness or whatever it takes, well, then you've gained your brother back. But if he doesn't listen, well, then take one or two other people along that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Get somebody that you uh, respect, that both people respect, that you know is perhaps a little bit older or more mature, and ask that person to come and uh, to join the conversation. And if if, uh, and if that works, then, again, uh, you've solved the problem. Um, take one or two with you and establish uh, the evidence. And, and then, finally, if the person refuses to listen uh, even to a couple other people who are kind of neutral, well, then tell it to the church. Then uh, there's a, a recourse that, uh, to solve the rift. Uh, the elders can get involved and so forth. And if he refuses even to listen to the church, well, then let them be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, what you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if uh, two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, uh, there I am among them. And so God's desire for the church is that, you know, we would be a character-developing family. And that we're concerned about each other enough to say when we see a character issue or it comes against us somehow that we uh, try to resolve that in God's way. And we try to say, let's choose the right thing instead of the wrong thing. Be it a marriage, be it a family, be it a church, uh, be it our boss at work. Uh, there's a recourse, there's a way of dealing with that. And uh, Jesus set the standard there. So obviously, you know, our character plays a role in our relationships, um, if you show me a successful marriage, uh, I will uh, show you a couple of people who've developed character, right? If you show me a successful um, friendship, 
I'll say that character is a part of that, the development of character is a part of that friendship. You show me a successful business, and I would tell you that uh, character is behind it. Uh, a successful church, a successful family, they all depend on character. In fact, um, character affects uh, relationships to the point where the longer people interact with one another, the greater the chance for friction. Isn't that right? The longer people interact with one another, the more you get to know one another, the greater the chance uh, for more friction. And the closer the relationship gets, the, the greater the chance for uh, offenses. And that's why the people closest to us often hurt us the most, right? It just makes sense. Um, unless the people involved keep growing character. Every time you have a source of friction in a marriage or a family or a relationship of any sort, uh, the, uh, the opportunity is always there to develop a deeper character, a, Christ, a more Christ-like character. Uh, and, and that's why I think small groups propel. I mean, if, if you don't develop your character, you won't be able to stand the people in your small group for very long. I mean, you might stay with them for a year or two, but if you're going to really develop a long-term friendship, you have to uh, be able to develop character that goes deeper, uh, or you won't be able to stay together. And um, I don't know if you realize this, but um, murder victims are almost always taken out. 90% of the time, uh, murder victims are taken out by somebody that they know. And half of the time, it's relatives who know them well. And they've rubbed each other the wrong way somehow. And so uh, same thing with uh, churches, though. Um, I think as intended by God, we have tremendous potential to contribute to each other's development of character. Every time there's a, a testy kind of encounter, there's an opportunity to go deeper in uh, becoming more Christ-like and to develop uh, our character. Uh, what happens in us is always more important than what happens to us, right? But at that point where we have that opportunity to go deeper and develop character, so often what happens is that we opt out. Um, we uh, keep quiet. We, uh, you know, we leave. Uh, we keep to ourselves. And by opting out, we always create bigger problems. The issues compound. And uh, as things go forward, the issues get more difficult. And um, what's really needed um, all the time is to do the right thing according to what God has revealed. And uh, the right thing can be hard, right? It's usually the hard thing to do. It usually involves sacrifice, right? The hard thing to do is usually sacrificial. And, um, you know, uh, it's much easier to just do the wrong thing, the thing that God tells us not to do. Uh, but it's our, the way that our character gets to the next level. Uh, Jesus, of course, in, um, you know, uh, in his relating to us, uh, does the ultimate um, hard thing. Uh, God, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also uh, with him graciously give us all things? God did the ultimate thing. He gave up his son's life in order that we might uh, be reconciled to him. And then God says, now you do what I did. You die to yourself so that the next person uh, can have the life uh, that I've put in you. God did the hardest thing ever and invites us to do the same. Love your neighbor. Focus on the needs of others. Character is all about uh, our works and our words serving others, no matter what it costs us. And whenever we do that, our relationships improve. Isn't that right? Uh, those of you who are married, don't you realize that as every time you choose to develop more character, your relationship takes a step up, right, in the right direction. And uh, that's the way it kind of works. And so here's kind of the practical result of uh, Paul's revelation in Thessalonians about the future and about Christ returning and about our future uh, in the kingdom of God and in heaven and so forth. In 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 3 and uh, verse 13, he says, as for you, brothers, look, don't grow weary in doing good. Don't give up. Don't stand down. Don't say, well, I've done my part and that's it, I'm done. You know, don't, uh, don't give up, he says, right? Verse 13, don't grow weary in doing good. Don't grow weary in developing character. 
and choosing the right thing over the wrong, no matter what it costs. Don't give up. Don't stand down. Don't use excuses from the past uh, to excuse ourselves from acting right in the present. Realize that the church is a place that God intends to use to develop our character and uh, through uh, our development of character to develop other people's character. Um, says here, next few verses, if anybody doesn't obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Uh, don't regard him, however, as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Don't write people off. Recognize that they're family, they're brothers, uh, and that we should uh, warn people uh, who are our brothers and care about them and uh, bring them along as best we can and not just write them off as enemies. Don't treat them as enemies, but treat them as brothers who have uh, gone astray. We are responsible to one another. Uh, we are our brother's keeper, and we all need uh, mentors. We need each other to see what we don't see ourselves and to be honest enough to be able to share with people in a loving way, speak the truth, do it in love, and uh, uh, enable all of us to develop the character of Christ in a, a greater way. Um, many of you know that um, last week was my birthday. I keep having these things called birthdays. And uh, I happened to be listening to a podcast last week on... Yeah, right. <clears throat> I was listening to a podcast last week on finishing well. Finishing well. And it was very interesting to me. It was by Peter uh, Scazzaro uh, from Emotionally, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. He wrote the book on emotionally healthy spirituality. Anyway, um, they did a study, and they studied leaders in the Bible, and they discovered, uh, as a result of this pretty intensive long-term study, that only 30% of the leaders in the Bible finished well. That would mean 70% of the leaders in the Bible finished bad. And... Um, when I thought about this and thought about, you know, like if you take like the example of Saul, who was the first king of Israel, he started out great, had tremendous potential, charisma, talent, you know, the whole thing. But by the end of his um, um, reign, uh, the guy was a disaster, right? He was trying to kill David, God's next appointment. He was jealous. He was, I mean, he was really sick. And uh, you, you read that account in Samuel and and uh, you just see he didn't, he didn't end well. And so uh, this study at the end of the whole thing uh, cited four different uh, things that people need, uh, four different uh, necessities if you're going to finish well in your life as a, as a Christian. And so I wanted to end, uh, if I could, with just um, uh, sharing these four things with you because I think they uh, speak to character. First of all, uh, in order to end well... Uh, People who ended well in the Bible had a deepening relationship with God until the end. A deepening relationship with God. These are things worth writing down. A deepening relationship with God. They had an identity that was fused to being a child of God. Their identity was, I am a child of God. He made me, he loves me, and uh, I am his child. And they developed a history with God of consistency and, and character and so on. The second thing that's needed if we're going to um, finish well is that um, they discovered that every uh, person that finishes well should have, over the course of their lifetime, 10 to 15 mentors that they could name whom God sent into their life specifically to help them through some issue in their life, to keep them from maybe uh, making a bad decision. Just mentors like individual people who are especially influential spiritually on your life. And we've asked that question for Thanksgiving uh, Eve. Like, think over this course of the year or two years, and, and uh, is there somebody that God has brought into your life that's had a great positive influence, you know, um, for uh, character development, for becoming Christ-like? And then third was a humble posture of being a lifelong learner, a teachable spirit. As soon as you get to the place where you think you know it all, you set yourself up to fall and not finish well. But a humble spirit of being a lifelong learner and a desire and a, an alertness to learning from other people and so on. And then finally, long-term thinking. And this is where the whole prophetic you know, scriptures come into play that God 
wants us to understand that our life is much longer than just you know, the 80, 90, 100 years that we have here and that there's an eternity to prepare for and that that's what God is doing. And so if you're going to finish well, you need to have this long-term uh, thinking, leaving a legacy behind you, uh, passing the gospel on to the next generation, thinking long-term. Uh, that enables us then to put our context of our little life into the context of the big plan of God. Detach the little story of our life to the big story of what God's doing in the universe. And so I thought that was pretty significant. Uh, I was surprised uh, to learn as a result of this study that 70% of the leaders in the Bible did not finish well. And uh, I think we all want to finish well. Uh, but it's a challenge, and it's a character challenge. And so here's Paul writing to these Thessalonians, uh, these uh, Christians in Thessalonica, and uh, I think we can learn from them. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for the Bible and that these were real people and this was a real church and that you have real answers and that you are about developing our character and that when these rubs come and people rub us the wrong way, say the wrong things, when we offend other people, these are all opportunities for us to grow, for us to embrace the forgiveness and the grace and the wisdom, Father, that you give to us in your scriptures. And I pray, Father, that we would have a passion in this church to develop uh, character and that when other people uh, confront us or when other people share with us uh, the kinds of things that have offended them, that we would welcome that as an opportunity to think through uh, our responses and to uh, want to be Christ-like in our marriages, in our families, in our friendships, in our businesses, in our relationships with each other here in church. May we just be alert to what you are actually doing and not short-circuit, Father, what you're uh, seeking to build into us through our uh, relationships with one another. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Now we're going to ask our uh, ushers if they'd come and wait on us this morning as we continue to worship uh, through the giving of our tithes and offerings. And as we do, we're going to have Pastor Dan interview Ted DeRamo. I hope you're not talking about character. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so it's always a dangerous thing when you give Ted DeRamo a microphone, uh, so bear with me. <laughs> No, I love Ted. Uh, I am especially thankful and grateful for he and Lucetta and their commitment to ministry here at Trinity and specifically this ministry that God has, uh, has kind of birthed in and through their lives and that impacts not just here at Trinity but in many churches um, and not even just here in Connecticut, uh, down in Florida, up and down the East Coast, I think. Uh, so it's, it's in even, did I hear in Guatemala as well? Is that correct? He was there, yes. Yes, good. I've also warned him that if he doesn't use his microphone, then I'm going to invade his personal space. I don't even know if it's on. Can you hear me? Yes, yeah, yeah. Good. Okay. So, um, you know, we're eager to uh, give you a chance to hear more of Ted's heart, um, especially as they've got some things coming up that we want to share with you. But, but specifically, Ted uh, and I talked about what sort of things we might share together today. And, and the first uh, thought that came to mind was really just trying to understand... Um, just the, the, the beginnings of Higher Ground Ministry, which I don't know if you're aware, but it's a ministry that is meant to come alongside people who are struggling to overcome life-controlling issues and to help them overcome them through the power of the Holy Spirit and God's work in them and specifically grounding them in the Word of God as they do that. So, um, Ted, would you share with us a little bit about you know, why God put it on your heart to start Higher Ground Ministry? Okay, when I got sober, which was... A long time ago. When I got sober, I wanted everybody to get sober because I knew there was something missing in my life. I was falling apart. But what happened with me in that process, I think 1977, I got sober. 1978, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. In that process of my... Uh, like Dave said, character. I can sneak this in here only because he said it. My thinking was way out here, and I thought I had character. But when I, being involved in the church and uh, learning more about Jesus Christ, that box, this thing over here got way over here because character started showing up. And uh, so the, your question is uh, why higher ground? 
we knew just because I got sober, uh, I was okay. But God was pulling on me and saying, you know, Ted, you got to do a new thing. You got to get Jesus Christ involved in, the, in your recovery. So, without trying to get in a, a debate with any ministry, we started Higher Ground Ministry, and we've been doing it for 30 years. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, character is definitely something, uh, good character, strong character, some, something I would describe of Ted. Um, he won't even let me get away with like a, uh, moving my golf ball on the golf course a little bit just to get that's it cheating. That's cheating. I think he says he says to me, "What you're going to stand up and preach on Sunday morning, but then you're going to move your ball and cheat in the game?" So it's conviction. It was it's good. He's challenged me to be a better man, better follower of Christ. And I love that you talk about higher ground being an opportunity to understand the the new things that God is doing in your life and inviting other people to to experience that that being a new creation in Christ. That's a that's a unique opportunity. So. I've seen what higher ground can do. I, I, I think others have experienced it as well. Um, but what we want to know, too, as we gather together as a church family, is how can Trinity support you and Lucetta and the ministry of higher ground ministry here? Well, every Thursday we have a meeting here uh, at 7 o'clock. Invite somebody. And uh, our big thing coming up this Saturday is uh, our 30th celebration. If you want to, yeah, thank you. If you want to uh, come, or if you know somebody that is interested in listening to people, uh, you're gonna. There's gonna be testimonies. There's gonna be uh, worship, and uh, there's gonna be food. Yeah, so food. bring some friends. Yes, we love food. Can I? This is my my mind is kind of all over the place Thanks. too this morning. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> We're together on this. Um, so did I hear that correctly? Are you 40 years sober this year? Is that so? so yes, 77. Yeah. That's incredible. And then 30 years celebrating the ministry. That's that's a milestone. And uh, so this Saturday night, November 18th. Uh, it's incredible to see how God has used Ted and Lucette over these 30 years, but even 40 years, and, and how God has transformed you through that. Um, so we can invite people out this, this Saturday night, November 18th, for the, the, the Higher Ground Celebration. Six o'clock. Yeah. Six o'clock. There's going to be food and celebration. First and time people get a gift. All right. Gift. First, how many people? Oh, 120, all right. Okay. All right. So the first 120 people through the door, they get a gift. Um, but also, you're mentioning that you have a meeting here on Thursday nights. Yes. So just having that awareness of how the people in our lives, the people we come across, letting them know that there's a place for them to come where we know because of your character that they'll experience the love of God. They'll, they'll, they'll come to know that they're, um, that, that they're someone that God loves and that he desires to do a work in them, uh, a new thing. Is that correct? And, you know, one other thing I'm going to sneak in here is that, you know, just because we meet uh, every Thursday for an hour and a half, that just doesn't cut it. You need to get involved in the church. You need to get involved in small groups. You need to get plugged in if you want recovery in your life to happen. Yeah. But this is a start, yes. So that, but that actually makes me think of another thing that we can do to support you here at Trinity is if we're a welcoming community, a community that welcomes people of various walks and, and places in their lives to allow them the space to, um, to not just meet on Thursday night, but to be in included into small groups, to be included into gatherings on Sunday morning, to not treat them as if they're other or different, but mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. a, a part of the love of God, the, the family of God. Well, if I read the Bible right, we're all sinners, yep. so it's anybody, you know, <laughs> just fill in the gaps. Yeah. Uh, Ted's a good picture of discipleship here at Trinity. I'm very thankful for the, the work he does and just seeing it as not just the, the hour that he has together with people, but recognizing what opportunities God, does God have outside of that to, to impact their lives. So, so, pre, so how can we, uh, Ted, how can we, as we think about this upcoming Saturday, how can we pray for you and Lucetta and the Higher Ground Ministry here at Trinity? Well, me and Lucetta uh, love uh, serving in uh, the ministry. Uh, we've seen a lot of people get saved, delivered, and uh, hearts changed and Miracles happen, but we can't do it alone. We need other leaders, so that's our deepest thought right now is for new leaders. All right. People that have a passion for lost people yeah. or confused people. Yeah. Sort of like you. <laughs> <laughs> 
That was we didn't. Dis- I don't see that on my card. We didn't discuss that part. That wasn't on my card. <laughs> oh, good. See, I told you, dangerous when we give them a microphone. Well, Ted, thank you for talking with me this morning. I really do hope you all consider coming out this Saturday night. It will be a wonderful celebration, really, of recognizing what God has done in people's lives. Um, if anything, to support Ted and Lucetta, and just be mindful of those people in your life who who are uh, overcome and, and, and don't know how, to, uh, how to, to break the patterns in their life that seem to be swirling out of control and recognize that God has set apart a place to help them, to come alongside them, to encourage them, and for them to hear from God. Um, and so encourage them to think about attending higher ground ministry. I wonder if you wouldn't mind bowing with me and we'll pray for everything going on in higher ground ministry. Lord, we think about uh, giving thanks, and, um, and we recognize that part of thanking you, a, a part of praising you is, uh, is praising you for the work you've done in other people's lives. Lord, I, I recognize that, that, um, that there may have been a time when, when it was hard to understand how, um, how good might come from us, that, that we might think of our own lives and, and think, um, what, what good is there in me, or what good can come from me? What hope do I have for a future? Yeah, Lord, I, I thank you that you have redeemed Ted and Lucetta, that you have redeemed them from a past, that you have redeemed them for a future, and that you have, you have loved them, you, you have begun a new thing in them, you have transformed them into a new creation in Christ Jesus. Lord, I thank you that you are continuing that work in and through them, and I, I pray that you would uh, encourage them in this ministry, May, may leaders around them see how they live their lives before you and learn to imitate, Lord, uh, a life of faithfulness before you. Father, I pray that you would raise up new leaders, young leaders, leaders to, to come alongside and see how Ted and Lucetta have, have listened to your calling on their lives. And Lord, I pray that you would raise up leaders that will listen and discern well the, the calling that you put on their hearts as well, hopefully to... to uh, to, to build into the higher ground ministry, to, to take on the baton of leadership and, and to lead into the next chapter of this ministry's life. Lord, I thank you for a chance to celebrate 30 years in the ministry, but even more so, Lord, we praise you and thank you for the 40 years of redemption that you've given to Ted. Lord, um, we are forever thankful for the work that your Holy Spirit has been doing in his life. And we just pray that, uh, that, you would, that you would fill his heart and his mind with all remembrances of the things you've done in, in, in him and through him. Fill him to overflowing with gratitude, Lord. And Lord, and us as well, as we see the work that you're doing in him and through him, as we gather to celebrate the, these 30 years on Saturday night at 6 p.m. here at Trinity. Lord, thank you for Higher Ground Ministry. May you uh, hear our desires at church to see that ministry flourish and grow that people would come to know who you are as a loving Heavenly Father, desiring to transform them, to redeem them, uh, to, to call them as your children, Lord. And so, Father, we thank you. We praise you. We offer up all these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen.